Welcome to The Light Within, a podcast for anyone seeking to rewrite their life, live in their light, and align with their soul's highest purpose. I'm Leslie Draffin. I'm a journalist and menstrual cycle coach, and I'm obsessed with all things spirituality, sexuality, wellness, empowerment, and mysticism. Join me as I interview coaches, teachers, healers, and thought leaders from all around the globe about all the ways we can feel more tuned in, turned on, and lit up AF. If you're on a journey toward self-discovery, you've come to the right place. This is The Light Within. Hello, beautiful beings, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of The Light Within. I cannot tell you how fucking excited I am to be speaking with today's guest. I found Rachel, God, a couple of months ago when we lost our first dog. She has this excellent TikTok out there, Instagram as well, where she talks all about pet loss grief. And recently, she's also been sharing much more about microdosing. And you guys know I've talked about microdosing on the podcast before. So, I'm so excited to have her on. Rachel Brooke is a pet loss doula and a microdosing mentor. And today we are talking all about microdosing, grief, pet loss, cyclical living, all the fucking things. So please join me in welcoming Rachel to the Light Within podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for having me. It's all my favorite things we got to talk about today. (laughs) I'm so excited. So the first question I ask everybody is what ignites your light within? For me, it's when I have those days that by the end of the day, when you're falling asleep, you're like, was that one week or was that one day? And that's when I know I'm present. That's when I know I'm embodied. That's when I know I'm aligned. And that like turns me on to everything in life. I love it. And I kind of gave a brief intro of what you do, um, but can you introduce yourself and explain to everybody what it is that you bring into the world? Absolutely. So... I consider it being a pet loss doula because I'm supporting people in the end of life care for their animals. And I'm supporting the animals as well with the physical, spiritual transition. You know, I'm not a vet, but I work with vets or I'll be in the homes or I do it remotely and I do it virtually and preparing and helping families choose the path that is best for them and their animal and choosing, you know, what health choices they want to make, what religious choices, spiritual choices they want to make along that time. And then outside of that work, I've been a movement coach for years. That's kind of how I started this pivot, working for myself, was leaving fitness companies that you know, wanted so much for me and doing it for myself. Mm -hmm. And that led to coaching. And then pretty quickly, about two years ago, all my coaching clients were microdosing with me. And it felt like the secret I had to keep. And I would support people in microdosing psilocybin. And only in the last six months, I'm like, wait, I'm a microdosing mentor as well. And I want to do it publicly. And I don't want to be in scarcity or fear or shame about this. So I feel really lucky that all these different parts of my life have come together. So I get to be both a pet loss doula and a microdosing coach, supporting people in creating intuitive practices, sustainable practices, responsible practices with this medicine for their creative, spiritual, and mental health. Well, so that I don't cry this entire interview, let's start talking with microdosing because yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know the tears are going to come. So I would love for you to talk about why and when you yourself started working with psilocybin. Whew. In 2019, I had been pretty much addicted to clonopin for anti-anxiety 
for since I was 12 years old and was first given it for panic disorder. And in 2019, I went through a bad breakup and a car crash and my version of a rock bottom and really realizing, oh my gosh, something has to change. I got off Clonopin, which is not a like enjoyable thing. It feels like you have the flu. And then it still felt like I was still having panic because I had no other tools. And I'm really grateful that at the time I found somebody to support me in meditation and then somebody to teach me about plant medicine. So it was all right before, you know, the global shutdown that I was introduced to working with plant medicine, like literally a month before it was wild. And I haven't had a panic attack since it felt you know, now I look back and I'm like, oh, it was exactly as it was meant to be. Because if I hadn't had those experiences prior to March of 2020, yeah. March of 2020 would have been so different for me with anxiety and depression yeah. and panic. So, you know, I allowed the next few months to kind of keep me pretty closed in. And, you know, I couldn't even find medicine at the time. I was in the Bay Area and I, you know, still felt like such a like for lack of a better term, like noob about it, because you're like, wait, I don't know if I can talk to someone about this or are they going to not think I'm cool at like, I don't know the lingo. And so that's something I'm really passionate about is just kind of normalizing the fact that you either know a lot or you don't know anything and let's just chat about it. So um, I ended up about a year into the pandemic sourcing my own um, mushrooms and grinding them and putting them in capsules. So that was like 2020 still, I guess. And uh, was able to start microdosing on my own because I need, for some reason in me, I didn't want to do a larger dose without a support or without being in Mm -hmm. a ceremony or having a guide. And I had done some research and was like, I think I could microdose without that. Now, there were some days that I didn't know how much I was taking. I never had a psychedelic trip on a microdose um, accidentally, but um, I was able to figure it out, navigate through it and everything from my anxiety to my looping thoughts that were, I had like looping thoughts that were from my anxiety that were leading. It was almost like I was being like obsessing over thoughts that then were leading to depressive Mm -hmm. thoughts. And all of that, even from what studies show with psilocybin and microdosing psilocybin or doing a larger dose, it really helps with your default mode network, with, which helps turn off some of those obsessing thoughts. And so I had this idea that it would maybe help with that. And it did. And it's not just when you're actually microdosing. It can be the week after. It can be the month after. It can be the six months after. And... I actually ended up getting a lot more into it once I quit my jobs and worked for myself. I was like, whoa, I can use this to be creative. I can use this not just for my mental health and my anxiety. I can use it to come up with a new idea. I can use it to really tap into source or like work on a healing project. And then when both of my cats got really sick and the it was the anticipatory grief and the fear Um, of losing them and the lifestyle change and just acceptance and spirituality. Uh, The mushrooms really helped me stay grounded and connected to something bigger. Mm, I love that. So for people who might just be tuning into this and have no idea what we're talking about. So microdosing, it's taking a tiny little bit of magic mushrooms, which are mostly illegal in the United States, although there were some recent changes in um, voting laws uh, just a couple of weeks ago in November. So what are we talking about here? Like, do you trip? Like, are you seeing weird shit? Like, what's the deal? 
So I like to, I like that you uh, reference that we're microdosing psilocybin because technically you can microdose anything. You can microdose grandmother ayahuasca, you can microdose LSD, uh, and you can microdose psilocybin. So we're specifically talking about psilocybin and, um, yeah, you can source them if you're in a state that has it legalized and then obviously be careful otherwise, but, um, you're taking a not psychedelic amount of the mushroom. And I think a lot of people advertise or talk about microdosing as a subperceptual amount, which means you wouldn't feel it at all. But I coach my clients if they want to feel it a little differently, saying, you know, it's very different, but it's like as if you had one glass of wine and you notice a slight shift mm. in your perception, it's that amount of psilocybin. But honestly, I think it's way better than a glass of alcohol. It's a shift in perception that's kind of shutting down some of those anxious thoughts or those controlling beliefs or the wiring of your brain that had been in kind of one direction. It just kind of opens you up a little bit. And for it can be a really different dose per person. I have some clients that take the tiniest amount and they feel it in a way that if I took it, I would never feel it. And so that's part of, you know, the coaching and practice with people is helping people be the experimenter and the experiment within themselves while working with the low dose. You can absolutely microdose and never feel it and receive massive benefits in the long run or even after a week. And you can microdose and have like a wonderful experience that day and feel a little bit of that like buzziness and mm -hmm. just do it once and have a lot of changes. And that whole time it's a microdose if you're not having a psychedelic trip. Right. So for me, I like to say I got a little spicy dose. <laughs> I like that. If I take a, a little too, too quote unquote much, um, I'll feel a little spicy afterwards for a little bit. So Let's talk a little bit about how this helped you when you were losing your cats. And will you share a bit about that? Obviously, people, you guys can go and follow Rachel on her social media and you talk so openly about this. But will you give us just kind of like the condensed version about what happened and then what was happening with the use of the magic mushrooms? Yeah, I was single in my 20s when the pandemic began, which is crazy because now I'm like, wait, I'm in my 30s. <laughs> I... I live in Portland, Oregon now. I work for myself. In the pandemic, I was working for SoulCycle in San Francisco. Like it was just such a different version of me. Um, I say the single in my 20s with two cats because like it was my identity. Like I was this like single woman with two cats. And uh, there's privilege with that too, right? Like these cats were mine. I didn't have to make decisions with anyone else. And also that was so painful to not have somebody support yeah. me in decisions and the fear of like, I lose them. And then it's like, what do I do with myself? There was a lot of freedom that was on the other side that I didn't mm. quite know what to do with because being 20 to 30 or 29 with two old creatures that like needed you all the time, there was a safety in that. So my first cat was about 19 when she ended up, she had been to the vet a million times and ultimately it was a lung cancer that um, made me have to make the choice to let her go. And you, you know, I got the diagnosis in January of that year and um, had until about, I let her go March 15th of that year. And mm -hmm. so it was about what, six, eight weeks of 
you know, figuring out what does it mean to let a creature go? And what does it mean? What are the signs I'm looking out for? And you're researching and you're asking vets, like they don't know you and they don't know your animal. And then also like the actual act of letting go of a creature that for me, she was like very healing. She was like a child to me and like a mother Mm -hmm. to me. And like, Mm -hmm. it was this crazy healing of energy and generations that this creature was gifting me. Um, And so in that, you know, going back to my panic disorder, a lot of it was about loss and death and grief. And um, I had been feeling pretty good. And then all of a sudden thinking of like, where does her spirit go? Where does this creature go? Oh my God, I can't hug her body once I let her go. Like Mm. my human brain could not understand that. And I'd done a lot of work with spirituality and meditation. I had my own understanding of like what happens and like trust in it. And yet it was this fight. It was just like my human brain versus my like spirit body and the mushrooms and psilocybin in general and just microdosing it during that time really helped me like merge the two and allowed my physical body to understand a lot of what was going on to I would do a lot of meditation I would meditate and like with her and connect with her spirit and talk to her spirit and in that time got a lot of really beautiful downloads for lack of a better word Mm. from her spirit from source in general and I think during that time of loss and grief it can just be hard like you're it's I really believe that grief is something more happening in the physical body from crying to feeling literally ill or like at dis-ease right and um, it can be really hard to connect with your spirit and your soul and ground and breathe while your body's in that chaotic state. So uh, microdosing for me really helped me like oh, bring that chaotic physical state back into groundedness, connect with the things I already believed in and ended up, it was a ceremony in letting her go. It was a true ceremony and um, being with her and holding her and letting I actually, I did not uh, microdose that day, but just like the whole energy of losing her was a ceremony um, of the moments looking out at sun settings before she died, after she died and feeling a deep connection to a source. Um, you know, I microdose. sorry, you asked for a condensed version. I'll go a little faster. <laughs> Two months later, or like a few days after I let her go, um, I was like, what am I doing here? I quit my job. I broke up with a toxic ex. I moved to Portland and I had another cat with me and I was like, we're going to go and like crush this. Kid you not. Like three days after my move, he's hiding in the closet. I'm like, maybe he's just like afraid. Nope. He has cancer over his full body that he hadn't shown uh- me until like that moment. Um, so with him, I had about six weeks and part of me was like, great, I've prepped, I just did this. And another part of me is like, are you fucking kidding me? And then a huge part yeah. of me is like, who the fuck am I going to be without both of them? Mm-hmm. Like, universe, you're not giving me a lot of time here. And yeah. um, ended up, it was a ceremony with him as well. And then I hopped on an airplane and went to Maui and stayed on Maui for a couple weeks and swam in the ocean and microdosed and... I would be out there swimming and hear a song that I played when they died that I could hear their voice. Like it was just a very like all encompassing spiritual experience. And during all that, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I didn't know who to call who 
I figured out I wanted a home visit. I wanted home care. I wanted all that, but I didn't know. And then, you know, like I said, it's hard for the grief ridden body to dive deep and meditate and connect with the souls of your creature. So I had a lot of mentors I would call. I'd be like, hey, like I, I need to hop in a meditation with you. I had a lot of support. And I realized so many people don't have that support. I would look for podcasts. I'd look for articles. I just wanted to hear other people go through something like that um, so that I didn't feel alone in it. And as I was on Maui and as I was microdosing and as I was in like the full fledge of grief and this inner transformation, I was like, shit, I have to talk about this. <laughs> um, like there's no, like, in my office, it's, you know, there's a note that just says for Jeff and gal. And it's just like, I really do this work for them. And there are days where, of course, I'm like, I trade everything in the world and just like hold them again and like be single and 28 in San Francisco, you know, not leaving my house. And I would give a lot for those moments again. And who I've gotten to become and who I've gotten to serve um, has changed my life. And, um, I think, you know, their purpose, these little creatures that aren't here for very long, their purpose is not just to be cute, fuzzy bodies for us to hold. Their purpose is so much bigger than that. And that's how my cat served me. And I believe that, you know, every animal serves such a purpose for their person. Okay, I'm crying already. Um, Yes, I feel like, oh my God, I love that. And I just want to say that you're sharing of this was so helpful for me and my husband because we lost our dog our first when we were on vacation and he died while we were gone just like super suddenly he had had a degenerative condition called wobblers for about a year and a half but he we assume had a heart attack um and he was a seven-year-old great dame and then six weeks later we had I mean it's us in vacation this year damn so we were on vacation there was someone with with them our two dogs who were left and our youngest dog who wasn't even six yet she was a lab she lab pyrenees mix she kind of stopped wanting to eat her food which was so unlike this dog like she never uh didn't eat her food and then um we got home and we were taking her to all these doctor visits and like two weeks later we had to put her down she had just deteriorated so quickly and then they found like a massive mass on her thyroid so we lost them both in about six weeks too. So yeah, it was just fucking traumatic, honestly. And then I found your stuff like, I don't know if I found your stuff between the two of them or after Cece died, but either way, super, super helpful. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about what it's been like to put that out into the world. Because honestly, I don't have kids. I'm never having kids. Like those dogs are my children. I still have one who's the oldest, who's 10 and a half. God, when he fucking goes, it's going to be a like just, I'm sure, worse, but maybe not. Cause like you said, I've kind of already, you've gone through it once. So who can say? But what's it been like putting that out into the world where pet grief is like not always that, you know, ex- uh, accepted? Yeah. Um, I hadn't heard the term disenfranchised grief until I started working in grief. And, uh, you know, we live in the society, right, where um, lots of other types of grief are finally kind of being talked about. And I don't want to um, 
say too much about them in case that could just be a lot for someone. But there's a lot of types of grief out there or types of losses that just aren't normalized. And that then is like that disenfranchised grief where um, people are comparing grief to each other. It's like grief is grief is grief. Like it doesn't, I mean, obviously it matters, but like it can be your animal and it could be a parent. It could be a child. It could be, you know, a life that wasn't actually birthed yet, but like it's all grief is grief. It can be a relationship and the way that the physical body experiences grief. It can be a memory. It can be a location that you move from or a dream. Um, and we live in this very grief phobic society. That's just like, ah, like we don't want to talk about it because accepting grief means accepting loss means accepting death. And like you and I also, it's cyclical, it's cyclical. Life is cyclical. Mm -hmm. And as much as I wish we could hold on to everything, we can't. So all that being said, recognizing, oh, this grief matters was huge for me because I didn't feel like it mattered. I was embarrassed. I was isolated. Um, the amount of people that would, two things would happen. I lost a lot of followers when I started talking about my grief. And now that I'm more trauma informed and understand when you're speaking from a wound, like as it was happening, like that can be so triggering. And it's almost like I have this apology. I feel like I want to put out sometimes to my followers on my main page because like I'm documenting my cat dying. Like that is triggering work. Um, and so I've learned a lot about that. And that's kind of why then I created my new TikTok and this like private space for it to be specifically pet loss grief and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, if somebody really chooses to see it, they can. Um, so I now, you know, I'm learning that like this kind of loss matters, or I learned that kind of loss matters. I learned I'm not alone in it. I learned some people can't and don't want to look at it. And also people navigate it very differently based off of their own past trauma, privilege, lived experience, generational like thoughts on it, religion, like there's just so many things to take into play. So my biggest work in it is just, I want to make this more normalized and more spiritual and less isolating. I want to show people you're not alone feeling any of these range of feelings. I don't make a post hoping that it's going to speak to everyone. I make a post being like, this speaks to one person and makes them feel less alone. Wonderful. And then if someone else swipes to the next thing and that speaks to them, wonderful. Um, and really, again, it's for Jeff and Gal. It's all the things they taught me, all the tools I have. I don't just post about it. I work with people on it. People hire me everything from their animal died last month and they're processing the grief to our dog just got diagnosed with cancer. And we don't know if we have a couple weeks or a couple months and we want to navigate that. Um, and that's just such a gift that I get to do. And helping you know even if I just help like two I remember the first family I helped um and it was just like if this is the only time I do it like this was my purpose from Jeff and Gal like hands down um so it's been a joy and it's been a great way to process my own grief too um we're meant to experience everything right in community and I say this as a very introverted only child who loves not leaving her house um, we are not meant to do this alone. And I love thinking about the idea, and I'm going to butcher the science, but um, the tears that we cry when we're sad have different different chemicals in them than tears that come out of our eyes, tear ducts, when we're not sad. And the, the, the chemical is like designed to make them stickier and slower and glowier and 
so that people you have more of a chance that somebody sees your sadness and I think that is so beautiful in grief because it's like you're meant to be seen in your sadness we just are and um, it's just been a great joy. I post videos if I'm crying. <laughs> I think there's jokes about like us being that age on social media where like we post videos of us crying. I'm like, yeah, you know, I do. Um, and it's just been great for my healing and creative process. And then to watch other people use things like sounds or trends or even just commenting or saving things. Um, to just not feel alone themselves. So let's talk a little bit about what advice you have for people who um, are on this journey and the holidays are coming up. Like we always talk about grief loss with a human during the holidays. And for me, it's like, so our dogs who we lost, one was a fucking asshole, like a real asshole, hated people. And so the holidays in that regard will be easier because people will be here and he won't be barking at them. Like he wasn't aggressive. He just was so, he just would alert all the time. And the other one loved everybody. So it's like, they're not going to be in the space where all these people are. And I have more freedom to go places. So it's like, I feel like it's a double-edged sword. I'm kind of relieved because I don't have to deal with Thor's anxiety, but then it's like, damn, I don't have their energy near me. So any tips for getting into a season when like you're going to possibly be thinking about it more? Yeah. Um, That's so hard. And it's, you know, speaking to the disenfranchised grief part of it, people will be, you know, Mm -hmm. posting, talking, sharing about human loved ones that they miss. And it can feel for me. I remember my first year, I was like, I feel a little silly being like, I miss my fucking cats. Mm -hmm. Like I would do a Christmas photo shoot ever. So like getting a tree, I hate it. Mm Um, and I, I personally just, I talk about it as if, you know, it is anything else. And I think the people that get it will get it. The people that don't, they have their own backgrounds and experience with that, or they don't want to get that. That's a big thing. Um, so yeah, it's really hard. I just want to speak on that, that if anyone's out there experiencing any type of grief, that's not totally normalized, you're not alone in it. And I'm going to recommend always finding I, finding community. And it doesn't have to be finding a grief support group. I think that's amazing. And I know some people that host grief support groups, um, especially for pet loss, but community in the sense of social media and just being able to scroll for like, I mean, I hate social media and, this, and yet that's how we found each other and how I run my business. But like the idea of just kind of like that mindless scrolling, but on a community page that you're like, Wow, I'm not alone. And just taking five, yeah. 10 minutes to be like, I'm not alone. Okay. Um, grief groups, um, other social media accounts, podcasts on pet loss. I'm starting one. I see that happening. Um, so yeah, you can just kind of bring your mind into the space and time of I'm not alone in this. Into um I heard this actually on a TikTok and it was by some musician and maybe you heard it. And so you might know what I'm talking about. And I actually need to like write it down who said it, but he talked about being on the offense with grief and he was talking about it with his mother. And he's just like, it comes out of the blue sometimes. He's like, so I've decided to be on the offense of it, which Mm -hmm. means for him. And this is actually something I've always tried to explain. I just didn't have the words for it preparing and almost giving yourself some time and space for the grief. Maybe that means I still hang out my cat's stockings and I don't fill them up with anything anymore, but like 
taking, you know, that day that I'm going to, you know, unpack the Christmas tree stuff and put it up. Um, I know I'm going to be sad. I know I'm going to hang up their little names and letters and um, feel that. So I'm going to give myself that time. And that to me is being on the offense, knowing that some of that stuff is coming and saying, I'm going to prepare about an hour to feel this or a day. Or if you look at dates and, you know, a six month anniversary is around that, or even a two month anniversary or a five year anniversary um, on that day around the holidays being like, this is going to be my grief day. And when I, when I I do grief days and I'll tell my whole family what's happening, I'll like, you know, schedule my calls to be the day before the day after. And I let the grief move through me. And so that's the biggest thing in our society. It's really healthy to move the grief through you. Energy in motion, emotion, it's emotional. It's in the physical body, right? We know trauma stored in the physical body and trauma is how it's then stored in you. And so allowing it to kind of move through you, be it with tears, with music, with movement. Um, And then I always recommend drink way more water than you think, Um, especially we have what, at least in Oregon, you know, seasonal um, affective disorder. I might have Mm -hmm. totally butchered that. But yeah, the sun's going down early. Like it's dark and it's hard. And speaking to cyclical living, it's so incredibly cyclical this is a requirement Mm -hmm. of existing it's something we signed up for on the spirit plane to come and exist in these cycles and be it the leaves on the trees the sun setting the darkness the sat the grief that's gonna show sometimes you might even be like I don't what is this grief I'm not actually Mm -hmm. I, I don't miss my animal right this second but it's grief it's in your body drink some water flush it out be on the offense, plan it a little bit, create a ceremony about it, hang up your animal's stocking still, buy them a gift, get, I have a foster cat, like I buy my foster animals everything around the holidays, and you know, they're not my forever animals, and they're not Jeff and Gal, but I'm like, I can do this, I can honor, make a donation to um, a charity in your animal's name for the holiday, Um, I think there's a lot of ways to kind of be like, it's going to come at you. It just will. And Mm -hmm. so like preparing a little bit for it. Mm, I love that. So let's talk about your shift in the business. Mm -hmm. You've kind of been helping your own clients with the microdosing for the last couple of years. And you have an amazing program coming out. Is it in January where you're doing microdosing and movement? I keep seeing this all over your your socials. Yeah, I'm in my second round of this program right now. Um, and so it's eight weeks of live coaching and movement and resources and coaching offline. Um, mm-hmm. We're in the second round of that right now. And in January, like January 2nd, 2023, we have another yeah. two-month program. And I love doing those live. And a lot's coming up soon that's going to be not live because the mushrooms actually kind of, you ask about like my change in my business, the mushrooms told me, which, you know, it it wasn't my plan. I was like, I'm a big time fitness instructor and, you know, I'm doing this pet loss stuff on the side. And um, one day the mushrooms were like, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I was like, okay. Um, And so the mushrooms told me that. And then the mushrooms recently also told me to stop asking people to heal on my timeline. And I'm not saying I was Mm -hmm. like, you're going to heal on this day. But when you have live courses like that, you're very like the program starts on Monday and the mushrooms are just like, someone's going to be ready the week after someone's going to be ready four weeks before. 
Um, and that came through me very loud and clear. I think there's still, we still need community. We still need live aspects. So I'm going to still always have that. And in the upcoming, by, um, in the upcoming weeks, I'm going to have more of a shop for people to access and find what works for them. Maybe it's microdosing for pet loss grief. Like I want to have a program for that. I want to have, you know, grounding meditations for a day that doesn't feel good when you're microdosing or microdosing for grief, like all these things. Um, so that people can kind of plug and play on their own time. And I think in the coaching industry right now, it's a lot of do it on my time. Doors are open, sign up for this, which is one exhausting for the entrepreneur. And we're just like, Oh my God, that's all we're ever doing Two, Um, it is asking people to like with pet loss grief, like we, we will only ever go through what we go through on our own time, not on anyone else's. So um, the shift in my business, the mushrooms told me a couple months ago to not be scared. Uh, I did hire a lawyer right away. Um, that was part of like, I was like, why am I scared? I was like, I'm not scared about the effects. I'm not scared about the process. I'm not scared of my ability. And I was like, oh, it's just like our legal system. I yeah. hired a lawyer. I paid so much money and just sat with him one day and it was like changed everything. And so I think for anyone, whatever you're wanting to pursue, maybe that fear is not really yours. It might be societies and maybe you're able to move yep. through it and be like, bye. Or maybe you can be like, I can take one day, work through all these societal stigmas or scarcities that I'm being given and then like mm-hmm. move them out of the way. And then honestly, everything got easy. Everything. Mm. When I tell you I've run business coaching courses and movement programs and memberships, and it was hard. I made good money. I ran a good business. I impacted well, uh, but it was hard. And since pivoting into just supporting people in their mental, physical, spiritual health with microdosing and the pet loss work, it's just, it's ease. I I wouldn't say easy, Mm. but it's full of ease. Like an idea comes to me and I'm like, let's see. And if it's too hard for me to implement, I'm like, I stop. I'm like very intuitive about it. I'm like, what am I trying to force here? Mm-hmm. And that's just been so cool. Yeah. That seems so cool. Um, and I love that part about not forcing somebody to heal on your own timeline. Um, because you're right. It's like always messaging as a coach myself. It's like, how are you messaging the transformation? Well, how the fuck do I know I work with menstrual cycles and it's like, that could take much longer than what we're going to work with, uh, work, be working together, me and the client, um, and cyclical living, I always say is a lifelong journey. So it's one of those things where there is no timeline. Like the, the whole destination is just you being in your body and being home with yourself. So if it takes until the day you die, then it takes that long, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so you're really into cyclical living too. When did you start your journey? How's it been? God, it's been life changing. It hasn't even been a year, which I'm just like, what? Um, I was on an IUD from a hormonal IUD from like 15 on. I was a little ballerina that, you know, was I was in fear of my period, fear of my body changing during my period. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, what can I remember? It was a ballet class. My like sweet little uterus was just like a little like hard and bigger by like an inch. And a ballet mm-hmm. teacher came up and like tapped it and was like, suck in. I walked out of ballet. I never went back to ballet. Oh I was a professional dancer. So I found modern and like baggy clothes. Cause, but I walked straight out. I was like, I, no, that is my body. I don't suck that in. And oh, thank um, God. I'm glad you thought that. 
And um, yet at the end of the day, like I was still really, I, I do remember being like, okay, well, let's like, let's just be on birth control. Let's, you know, and then the idea conceptually that I'm sure all your listeners and followers know, or it's like, you know, even thinking about like what a man was, or not even man, excuse me, a partner at that time would find desirable, what my little 16 year old mind was being told was sexy and attractive. I was like, okay. And then dancing for many years later. And it was just like, I wanted to have high energy all the time. And so it almost felt like this trick that I was like, put that in me. And then I'm at a hundred percent all the time. And I never feel like shit. I didn't bleed. And then last year, so I'm 31 now it was, I was 29 and I started kind of feeling this and I'm sure there's some things of like, I want a baby. Like I, there's beautiful Mm. things also be witness to and my cats had just died. I was like, I want to be in all of this. And it was a cyclical living coach. I just saw start talking about it and I never heard it. And in me, like so deeply, my IUD was like, get me out. Just get me yeah. out. I booked an appointment. I went straight in. I got it out. I can't believe that was ever in me. Um, and also, like, I think it's badass that, like, people with menstruating bodies can, you know, prevent pregnancy in the way that, you know, they think they need to. Like, I think it's fucking mm-hmm. amazing so that we can just, like, go out there and do some shit. Um, and I really wish that I'd been taught everything way sooner. If I have a daughter, I'm teaching her. From, I have a little sister, my poor little sister, because she's she's 12 and like 13. And, you know, in that, like, I don't want to talk about this stuff. And then I'm like, right. and like, I would have given anything to know this when I was 13. Yeah. So she'll yeah. hopefully thank me later, even though she's super embarrassed by it now. But uh, got my IUD out, studied fertility awareness method, used that to track my cycle, used that to make sure that, you know, right now I'm not getting pregnant with my partner and Mm -hmm. then using it for my business. Like, Mm -hmm. I almost like don't work for two weeks a month. Like, it's phenomenal. I'm like, and mind you, I'm like resting, I'm I'm cleaning, I'm like nesting, I'm like doing other things with that energy. And then in my like two weeks where I feel fantastic, I'm like creating things that I didn't even know I could create. Um, And that's just been a huge blessing. My body's happy. Learning and being in touch has just given me so much more compassion for myself, for my heart, for my feelings, for my body changing, for others. It's just changed my life. So I love that that is the work that you do. Well, so let's talk about the work that you do. How can people connect with you? You kind of mentioned this um, course that you have coming up, this program on January 2nd. Where can people find you? People can find me. I have my website, rachel-brook.com with kind of a plethora of everything in there. My regular Instagram, which is Rachel Brook, and I'm sure these will be in show notes. If you're interested in pet loss, you know, support and community right now, it's just TikTok nine-ish lives, but I'm writing a book right now. My goal is to have that book out in the upcoming months, starting a podcast, and then people can always, you know, hire me for every phase of pet loss support. And then the microdosing shop, I think by the time this podcast is out, the microdosing shop will be up and running. It's going to be quirky and weird and approachable and accessible. And I'm just so pumped for that. And that's going to be, you know, good for anyone who it's their first time microdosing to, 
you know, they microdose for years, but they want to do it for a specific thing. So those would kind of be my ways right now. And then the January program, which you'd find that on the microdosing shop. So I used to try to niche down. I don't know about you. I used to be like, I like can only do fitness. I had an app and like all that. And then I was like, I have too many things that I love on this planet and it is not worth it for me or anyone to hold back from all the gifts we all have. So thanks for letting me share all of them. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This has been fantastic. I have loved getting to chat with you about all the things. I'm going to have you as a guest on my podcast and I can't Ah! wait. So thank you. Can't wait either. Ah, thanks so much, Rachel. Ah, I cannot tell you how honored I was to be able to speak with Rachel. She and her content was instrumental in helping me feel more just accepted with how upset I was after losing Thor and Cece this summer. And so please go check out her socials. I'll put all of those links in the show notes below. I can only imagine that her courses and her coaching are just as compassionate and amazing as she is. If you want to connect with me on social media, I would love to hear from you. Find me on Instagram at Leslie Draffin or at the light within podcast. Send me an email. Hello at Leslie Now, I want to tell you guys and let you be the first to know, I have some huge Black Friday sales coming up when it comes to my coaching and my course offerings. Um, Get on my email list by going to the link in my bio or just send me a message on Instagram and I will hook you up. The prices are going to be the lowest they've ever been. So if you are at all interested in having somebody support you as you learn to live cyclically, as you learn to manage period problems, if you want to just reconnect with your womb space and you want someone there to help be a guide and a mentor for you, please reach out. It's the end of the year, and I really don't want you going through another year where you feel disconnected from yourself, where you feel like you're living in pain and in terror of your menstrual cycle. Have yourself a great week, babe. Thanks so much for spending some time with me today, dealing with my tears today as well. And I will see you next time. Until then, remember there's no light without darkness, but there's no darkness without light. See you next time.